us, please, Priyanka, about AMI. Sure. So AMI is a platform that provides uh, mental well-being support, I'd say mental fitness tools and um, practical expertise for the perinatal stage, which is pre and post-pregnancy, so expectant and new parents. Um, we have multidisciplinary experts who deliver sessions and who people can access. So these multidisciplinary experts could be from mental uh, health and well-being for parents, but also for children and uh, a scalable digital platform for mental well-being um, and mental fitness as well. And Colab is a platform to help educators and mental health practitioners to tackle the mental health crisis in children and young people. Welcome, guys. Thank you very Good much. Good to be here. Yeah. So let's start with Ami. Ami came about due to um, some significant life events for you, if that's right, Priyanka. Could you elaborate on that? Sure, sure. That's right. So um, early 2020, um, I, you know, was living life as you do pre-COVID. Had a very high pressure, well-paid high pressure job. Um, Two kids, you know, who needed me and a husband who's also very busy. And then what ended up happening is pre-lockdown, he got really sick with covid Um, And he was on a ventilator for 10 days. They were preparing end of life plans almost. So it it was a really difficult time for our family. And it just sort of like so many people around the world, you know, started to think about like, right, maybe this is the time for a reset button. You're only going to live once. And um, is this how I want to lead my life? Is the next step now just climbing that corporate ladder or do I want to do something a bit more significant? So a few months later, I actually resigned from my role and decided that I needed to find my passion and pursue that. And that's really where um, I sort of then got into um, applying for Zinc, actually, for the program. And uh, the cohort there, the focus and the mission was children and young people's mental health. And within that, um, you know, as I was researching the space, I was thinking, like, where do you start with children and young people? You start with the parents, really. And those first few years of life are extremely significant to their physical, but also their emotional health as adults. And um, as I sort of got into that, you know, and talking to mums at that phase, I was reminded of my own struggles. So my kids are a lot older now, they're 11 and 9, but I had a really hard time. When I had my kids, I was anxious, I was alone. There was a real sense of isolation. And um, and that's a struggle with a lot of mums. And I really do feel for that cohort. And yes, I, I researched the space and, you know, found... Um, and found that I really felt for that um, particular audience, the women who were struggling. And as I spoke to them more, it, it reminded me of my own struggles. And it reminded me of the trauma that I had. I had a traumatic birth. I had a lot of anxiety and things that I never really dealt with, you know. And um, after a few years passed, you look back and think, gosh, if I had done things differently, would would that have changed things for for our family and the way that, you know, we, we function today? And I just want to make sure that um, I can offer that support to women who are going through something similar. So that's that's sort of like how I <laughs> decided to come up with AMI and, you know, providing that support structure for them and they don't have it. And where does the name AMI come from? So it's it's a great story, actually. Um, I didn't come up with it. I can't take credit. It was a friend. <laughs> <laughs> AMI means um, mother in Urdu. Okay. It means uh, my people in Hebrew. It means friend in French. It means to me in Spanish. And um, yeah, so it's it's got these different multicultural meanings, all meaning some sort of support and community. So 
It's I amazing. figured it's so. Uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's yeah, that's amazing. Typical English don't have a meaning for anything, do we? It's just no. a word, isn't it, at the end of the day? <laughs> and Emma, what about you? How How's CoLab come out and how did you get on the, the Zinc Accelerator? Yeah, so it's 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 funny how kind of life events just also snowballed until I was I found myself uh, applying for Zinc. So I actually come from a teaching background. So I was working um, as a photography teacher, a course leader of photography in a an outstanding college, and I was there when the the government actually took mental health support away from from colleges as kind of standard and I saw how devastating that was not just for the staff but for the young people as well so it was it was really tough teaching at that, at that kind of time and it was something that I always wanted to do and I absolutely I thought that I'd adore and love but there's a lot of red tape and I'm very connected to the to the struggles that that teachers have to face so I, I left the profession feeling quite downhearted, really. And I, 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 I went back to photography, back to graphic design, but actually felt that my life was lacking purpose now. I didn't have the young people and I didn't have that, that focus of their, their growth. So I started to look at what could I, what could I do to, to, to have that purpose in my life and to bring that back in. And it was actually through my own meditation practice, it's my own meditation practice that, that really saved me through a really tough time, that I suddenly had this feeling, like this idea that all children should know this, all children should know about very, very basic mindfulness techniques, you know, because it would give them such a toolkit to, to help them through their whole lives. And I started going into, well, I trained to teach um, mindfulness to six to 11 year olds, and I started working in primary schools. And it was it was such it was such a joy to see the young people respond and to see the teachers respond to to these very simple but very effective techniques. But whilst I was in that environment, I noticed that the schools that were most successful, ones that had the the, the foundations laid for for understanding whether these interventions were really really working, um, and the ones that didn't, um, you know, everything became quite tokenistic and and. They weren't able to keep on on top of the interventions that they were that that, that they were implementing. So it was actually during um, lockdown because we couldn't go into the schools anymore. We started to make videos, so like a video course of the mindfulness for the teachers to use with their with their students, and it was it was fantastic um, because it meant that we had so much more reach. Um, rather than an individual going into one school, you know, the, the capacity, we're, we, we've, we've got a ceiling, you know. So realising the effects of digital, like the, the impact that digital can have, I, I, I was really keen to kind of stay in this area and keep working with digital and, and in education. And Zinc actually kind of came to me. So they were looking for women in tech and and um, I, I decided I decided to apply, and it kind of snowballed snowballed from there. It's, it's pre team, pre idea. So I kind of went in there with this idea of mindfulness and and helping teachers to teach mindfulness and interventions in school. But it was it was from working with the people at Zinc that you kind of ideas develop and things change. And as we start to dig down into the problem, we started to understand. Okay, there's 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 a much 
bigger solution needed here to, to really help them to build infrastructure and frameworks in the school system. So I think the, the, the what I'd like to look at here is, or, or make note of, is the important element of, of, of your business here as a whole and your platform is, is prevention from a mental health point of view, right? Rather than the cure of what is basically mental yeah. health sickness. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of the people that are on the Zinc program, very focused on, on the kind of, on, on the cure, you know, on, on finding the, the, the problem or the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And, and then what can we do to, to help to, to cure that, whether it's uh, young people not getting enough sleep or young people not in the right t- uh, type of work. Is this what's causing the mental health epidemic? But we're very focused on prevention. So thinking about what actually causes those deeper problems in, in the first place and what can we do to change environments and, and change cultures to, to shift attitudes towards mental health. So there's really no point sending an individual child to counselling for anxiety and then sending them back to a toxic school classroom environment, whether that's because of the other young people and bullying or whether that's because of the, 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 the teachers are so stressed out they don't have time for them. You know, we, we need to start to focus on the, on the school culture and, and bringing, bringing attention to policy and the way things that work. So that's really interesting, Emma, because um, even with AMI, we are focused on optimising your mental fitness uh, before it gets to a stage that you need um, an intervention. Mm. And and we all know, you know, now with the NHS crisis, um, waiting lists are insanely long. Some some kids wait up to 18 months and it's the same in the perinatal space. Even though um, they are building out perinatal teams in various areas, not a lot of people still have access. And um, you have to be above a certain clinical threshold to even get the help. So what if we actually intervened earlier and, Mm. you know, as people were on the cusp, you give them some tools and uh, then the system could be actually used for those who desperately need it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So there is definitely a case and an argument. And I think healthcare in general is moving towards the prevention space, Mm -hmm. although it's hard to convince policy leaders until there's not a fire, you know, you don't want to pay for a... Mm. Or an ambulance, or yes. or a fire, or a fire truck, right? So it's it's about like making sure that you can invest in this space before mm. um, the proverbial hits the fan. Can you say that? <laughs> yeah, you can say that. Say that. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think I think that's what's really interesting because you know that's that's what we're trying to do with Colab is to really collect a lot of data around how prevention is working and and the types of prevention that's work, really working in schools and what healthcare professionals are doing. So how can we measure impacts rather than just kind of like counting beans, you know, so counting how many students have we seen, counting how many people attended that workshop. No, what was what was actually good about that workshop? How can we improve it? How can we improve the service as a whole and really start to understand how to shift this conversation from from this sickness model, this diagnosis of like this child is anxious to prevention, like treating everybody as if they, you know, to, to you know, going to prevention and treating, going to prevention and instead thinking about educating everybody to a level that's acceptable around their mental health. So supporting each other, supporting themselves, self-help rather than leaning on professionals, you know, not letting things spiral out of control. So, yeah, hopefully really empowering people, the people on the ground that know what they're doing and, and, and they're doing it really well. It's interesting there because you've got, you've got an, a significant age gap, haven't you, in the, in the sort of the, the, the children or the young adults, so to speak, that you, 
are supporting here or what CoLab are, are doing from a business model point of view. You're, you're talking primary school age, are we? Four, five, six? Yes. Through to college, pre-university? All the way through to college. So the the the, the platform is is kind of designed for the professionals to use. So it's it's not the young people logging on and, and right. using. Yep. So it's, it's about um, enabling the educator and the practitioner, the mental health practitioner, to collaborate and 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 communicate on the platform and to understand what's working and what they need to do to improve. And, and to also to connect schools and connect communities so that they can see what's working in best practice and how can they mirror that so that we're across the, the nation seeing this influx of, of, of best practice and, and, and supporting each other. So you're both solo founders. Um, let's talk about the accelerator. Um, what's Priyanka? What's the benefits of being on that accelerator? And I guess what were the negative uh, parts of that accelerator? Look, with any program like this, I think you have to go in and manage your expectations on on what you can gain from it, and and you know sort of take from there. I think I tend to be pretty positive in in terms of like what that experience is, and I think I even though I didn't get the investment as a solo founder. Um, I uh, I think I got a lot out of it, like things like, how do you think about the lean startup process? You know, the whole, um, even though I came from a business background, I worked in like large corporates where, you know, there's a lot of analysis paralysis and, and a lot of navel gazing with like decisions, right? But what the accelerator did was, you know, you you kind of like test, test, fail, iterate, test, fail, iterate, and then work with the users, um, work with your audience to really get down to what uh, what the issue is and and sort of peel back the layers to find out, you know, uh, the whys, as you say, the five whys and ask that question, why and why and why? And then you get your root cause and then you can work on that root cause. So it was great in terms of the cohort, obviously, you know, <laughs> we, uh, we I ended up meeting people from different walks of life, uh, different backgrounds, which was fantastic. Um, uh, we ended up being connected to a lot of investors and um, academics and and entrepreneurs in this space. So I think there's a definite benefit to doing it. I think if you go in there with an expectation that um, you will come out with the answers to all of your business problems, then that's just unreasonable. Or that you will find the co-founder of your dreams, you know? So not everybody does. And it really is a matter of chance. Um, if, if you do end up finding someone who's perfect for you in that pool of like 60 to 70 people, it's, it's not always the case. So I think you have to go in there with that expectation that some things you may not get, but it will set you off on a path if you want to take it on on building your business. I found it really interesting that we were we were digging down into the problem so much, and and, and because it's such a heavy problem, you know, that ch- children and young people's mental health, mm. it, it did feel really really heavy at times because we're we're really focused on kind of what was what's wrong with the world and how rather than before we could move into how we could fix it, we really had to like zoom zoom in close on that. So found it quite tough emotionally, um, but at the same time really motivating. Um, and I, I, I liked getting down into the problems of things like, okay, so, but what, what, what are your biggest problems? How can we solve them for you? What does that look like in a tech sense? And actually starting to work with people and facilitate and, and co-create rather than thinking that I had all the answers as a founder. Is the intention of the, of the, the, the sort of the cohort, so to speak, to find a co-founder? Is that the whole purpose of why you put together? So, 
you know, the way that I frame it is it's it's Love Island meets Dragon's Den, <laughs> right? You're meant to come up with your, um, you know, your business idea and find the co-founder <laughs> all at the same time. So <laughs> it's it's a lot. It's a lot to take on. And, you know, the the if you do find it, that's golden, right? Like if you find someone who has the same passion and the complementary skill set as you um, and you get on like house on fire, then, then amazing. But, you know, there's just a few people who manage to make that perfect match. I didn't find a, a co-founder on the on the team. I um, I actually found my co-founder was a fellow. So it was someone that was coming in to speak to the cohort about mental health. Um, and, and we we just hit it off. <laughs> I'll take the teacher. So I'll take the teacher, please. I'll take the teacher. <laughs> so we, we hit it off. We had like a similar passions in a similar area. He was from healthcare. I'm from uh, like education. So it felt like a, a perfect match. But um, unfortunately, as things kind of unfolded, there was, because we didn't know what we were going to create, right? We're, we're, we're making this, we're, we're from a very human-centered design point. And, and we're starting off with an idea and, and it could evolve into anything, right, to, to solve the biggest problem. But it turned into quite a big conflict of interest uh, when it came to his, he's already working in the NHS. Right. So it meant that, you know, it needed to either cut away from the NHS and, and be collab solely um, or, 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 yeah, kind of say goodbye to collab, which is, which is the choice that he had to make at the time. It's, it's tough as well. When mm. and you guys are at that early start of the journey, and you know you're talking about your co-founder where he either leaves a job and yeah. jumps in, and it's it's how have you found that? Like it, it it's tough, obviously. You know, balancing yeah family life, trying to bring some income in, trying to build this. Mm. Like Priyanka, let's talk about that. Like you said, it's it's hard. It's really hard. Um, I have two kids, as I've already alluded to. So, you know, being a mom itself can be a full-time job, but um, you've got to hustle as well if, if you haven't got the funding yet. And if you're bootstrapping, it means that you take on some work uh, part-time um, to, you know, sort of help you get by and, and fund the business. So that's essentially what we're doing. But I think, again, like, you know, I may, not to say that it's not hard, but, and not to only put a positive spin on it, but it does help ensure that you're building a business um, that's right, um, you know, and I think it comes back to the fundamentals. Uh, we're gone are the days when like, you know, money was being pumped into businesses with saying, oh, the eyeballs will come, you know, and then the money will come. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's back to the fundamentals. So I think when you're bootstrapping, what ends up happening is you really start to think about that. Like, you know, what's your revenue? And, and how are you going to actually make money? Because the best money really is customers paying for your product, you know, uh, rather than like taking money and giving equity away. So if you can start to think about um, actual revenue generation, actual metrics, then that, that helps you. So I think it is hard, but um, it's, it's forced me, at least, to really examine the fundamentals of the business. And am I building something that's right? Yeah, and we look, we're looking at how we can make revenue with our MVP product at the moment. So uh, everything with our MVP, which is our minimal viable product, we're, we're, we're kind of mimicking the intelligence of the system that we've prototyped with our human experience and, and hands-on in the background, right? So what can we kind of sell to bring in revenue within that service? Um and that's really tricky because we want to charge a price point that works for our customer, but it's actually so human heavy compared to what it will be when it's a SaaS system, which is 
you know, it, it doesn't matter how many users we've got or how many um, reports we need to push push a button for, you know, but when we're writing the reports ourselves, it's 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 really, really tricky to, to be able to fit in all of that workload for a price that's going to match what they can afford. What challenges have you got with that transition period of moving from a, a human-centric and human-heavy sort of element through to a SaaS product, so to speak? So we're, we've... We've designed our uh, prototype with Nuom, um, and that's that, that's what we're fundraising for now is to to build that prototype out. So the the minimal viable product, which is just a, a bit scrappy, I've got to say, compared to what the NHS are using in some of their other platforms, is <laughs> actually quite gorgeous. Um, so and it, it works really well. But um, but for us, we know what it's going to be. So we're really excited about shifting that. I mean, the challenge is going to be shifting the data and the users that are already on the platform into the new system and the new platform because it's going to be a completely different style of backend. So. Amazing. And and the business model for, for Ami, how was that? So, so basically, Ami, um, you know, just to tell you a little bit about the product itself, yeah. um, Ami is a scalable digital platform that has on-demand tools uh, for well-being. Um, there's a bit of coaching built in there as well. So imagine a coach in your pocket, right? So for, um, let's say, a mom who's, you know, just just become a mom and she used to be this, like, independent woman, There's there's a lot going on, not just, you know, from from your body standpoint, but also in your mind about like who you are and like who you're becoming and and what's important to you. So so what Ami does um, through these, you know, tools is, which you can listen to, you know, while you're breastfeeding in the middle of the night or, you know, when you're kind of um, feeding your baby or doing something around the house, you just pop this in, you listen a bit of content and then you can engage with it. You can fill in your notes or you can you can just sort of interact with it and it'll help guide you but equally we also have the option to tap into experts and and that's where the premium subscription comes in um so we are looking at subscription models or um we are and it's very early stage so we don't know in what way it's really going to go yet but subscription is definitely you know um one avenue another could be you could buy like a package of hours of um con- uh, hours of expertise as well so that's how we're thinking about it is uh, with the multidisciplinary experts, you know, we um, another issue that, you know, people have in this phase in their lives is they're so busy solving for the daily uh, sort of issues of like, right, my baby's sick. What do I do? Or like, you know, I'm um, I'm not recovering well. Like, how do I take care of this? So so there's a lot of practical stuff that adds to the anxiety. So the idea was to provide this holistic um, one stop shop where, you know, you can access help for the issues when you need it, and then you can pay for it as you go. Um, I think this is very interesting also for organizations that are looking to elevate their women employees. And this is big on the in the corporate agenda as well. So, you know, from a B2B standpoint, um, there are a few companies who are starting to do this now in the UK. And that could be really interesting is, um, you know, if companies wanted to offer this to women who are going on maternity as a benefit, because right now the process is pretty dry for most companies. You know, you fill in your maternity form, you live, okay, see you in your back, <laughs> maybe keep in touch 10 days a year, <laughs> you know. Um, so it feels a bit cut and dry. And and this could be something that could be quite the differentiator for retention of women employees as well. Is it focused purely on mums or is there an element for dads as well? Yeah, that's question. I, I, get, I get asked this yeah. a lot. And I think the question, you know, and, and it's definitely something that would be on the roadmap. I think when we're yeah. starting out, you have to start with like 
the, oh, you know, somewhere. Um, we'd love to, and and you can't disconnect ads from this. That's that's for sure. Um, uh, so we we do get asked this a lot. I think it could actually be used by either party. It is now for now. It's you know when we're looking at launching, we're we're kind of like right. This is probably the core market, and yep. as we build, we can start to incorporate those elements. It's different users, aren't they? And different yes. personas and different attitudes. And yeah, you've got to do your research and uh, how to engage with them. So yeah, that definitely makes sense. My question, I guess, is to talk about price, cost. Like, it's a question that comes up quite a lot is, what do I charge? Um, Emma, what's your thoughts on that? How have you come across thinking about how, what, what price point to charge? Yeah, we've been we've been looking at price points and and thinking about okay, so do we do it per user or per borough or per who's going to be the actual person that's that, that's paying for this? It's, it's definitely can't be schools. We need schools to have access to this no, no no matter what as 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 a freemium model, and then maybe they'll have some extras that they can purchase as well in the future. So we're going to charge to the NHS, so the mental health practitioners that are going into the schools. So one mental health practitioner might actually have. Um, seven schools so that's that's eight licenses in total charged to the mental health support teams within the NHS and they have a a ring-fenced a ring-fenced budget for that so the whole school approach is one of their key functions and they need to track and measure the effectiveness of of the whole school approach within schools and it's actually something that Public Health England have have developed the, the, the idea of the whole school approach they 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 didn't really create it, but they have coined it and, and turned it into a framework. So there's eight principles involved and it's about looking at the, the deeper culture of the school. So within those eight principles, a couple of examples are leadership, our student voice, uh, student and pupil voice and uh, parent voice as well and working with parents. So thinking about bringing community back into the school as well as things like curriculum and identifying needs. So we have all of these principles working kind of in unison as well as working individually. And that's what really does make up the, the, the framework and the foundation of the school. And because it's, you know, it's very important for the schools to improve the mental health and well-being of, of, of the young people there. But it's actually the NHS service that need to prove that they're making a difference to, you know, to, to secure funding in the future. And Priyanka? So, um, look, pricing is something I think I've, I've been advised as well is that it's you're constantly going to reiterate. But I think starting out, um, the way that I've approached it is to look at what similar services are priced at and what people are used to paying at this point in time. Um, and as well as companies, right, like they have a, a certain cost per employee uh, when they look at uh, employee benefits, and you need to be competitive within that space. And again, the beauty of this is these are digital well-being tools. There might be some out there, but there's none really um, being offered that target this specific segment. So, you know, um, a calm or a headspace is great for, you know, generic well-being. But can you relate to, you know, can it relate to your situation as a new mom? So when it comes to pricing, again, there are, you know, where, where therapy at the moment costs 150 quid almost per session, um, here you're looking at a whole different price point. Mm. And as well as with the multidisciplinary experts we talk about, because they can 
um, answer queries on their own time. They're not asking people to show up at a certain location. Um, the pricing tends to become a lot competitive. So that's that's sort of the direction in which we're heading is to make it more competitive than what's out there already and benchmarking against those prices. And is there an opportunity for, for either of you to build partnerships? I mean, health and insurance, for example, is a huge thing, right? Like vitality, the obvious one, right? You get this 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 element there, but your platforms, would they work Absolutely. with partnerships? Um, definitely in the case of Army, um, it's, it's uh, again, because we're looking at optimizing well-being, yep. it means that the it, it could have a, an impact on the number of claims that come their way for mental health, because that is something that gets covered under health insurance. Um, uh, right now, I think it's about 12% of the UK population that um, has health insurance, but this number is growing and it's we're going in that direction of privatization. So um, there is a benefit to insurance companies for sure. Yeah, the same with, with Colab. There's there's so much opportunity for for collaboration and for bringing companies like well we've been we've been actually co-creating some content with Bernardos quite recently. Oh, amazing. So linking that what they do into our system. So the the Colab system actually helps a school to understand where where they are on that whole school approach journey. So we're showing them content that's user generated at the moment, but we have the odd kind of thing from Bernardo's and, and, and other companies that are contributing too. But it's showing them the right content at the right time rather than this like sea of there's, there's just so much out there that, that schools are bombarded and, and they're, they're being sold to all the time. But if they're being shown the right thing at the right time, then they're, they're more likely to action it and stick to it. So, so yeah, there'll be room for a lot more of, of, of this as well. So collaborating with, uh, with Minders on the cards. So let's talk about the idea. Let's talk about what validation you've done so far, Priyanka. So, um, you know, it's, it's a constant process of validation. Um, as soon as I decided to like put my feet into it, I said the first thing I need to do is get a community of mums together and, and learn from them. So um, what we started to do was offer free online workshops, roping in different experts who, by the way, so far have all showed up for free on, on my sessions. So I've had pediatricians, I've had obstetricians, I've had um, life coaches. Last night we did a one on sleep coaching and, um, you know, with a sleep expert and a pediatric nurse. And basically, um, just completely sort of on a, like reaching out to mom's networks, um, zero marketing spend and saying, I'm offering this. Do you want to show up? And what that's helped me do is uh, now we're up to over 400 mums who are part of the Ami community wow. and have signed up and uh, who show up to these sessions. And after every session, I have a feedback form. And I make sure they fill in this feedback form at the session because later you never get anyone to do this, right? So in the feedback form, I'm asking all sorts of questions like what topics are of interest? Like where are the big gaps? How do you want this content presented to you? Is it, you know, um, pre-recorded content? So asynchronous, synchronous, one-to-one, -one, group. So I've got a ton of data now on that. Um, so that's on that piece. And then on the other side, you know, with, with Nuom again, you know, we have developed a prototype which has gone through two rounds of user testing. And again, I tapped into the Ami community to get real life moms who aren't my friends <laughs> to, you know, show up and interview and go through the prototype and give us feedback. And we've been through four iterations of the feed of, of this um, prototype now. And we've also run a two-week trial on the content with therapists to see if there's been 
any improvement or in their well-being. So we know that, you know, we have some data here to show that it works and it's what users want. I think I have to go right the way back to when when I was on Zinc. Um, so, you know, we we my my co-founder and I at the, at the time, Dale, um, we were really stuck on 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 prevention. So it's like it, it has to be where where do you start? You know, like do do you, do you start with with school? Do you start with parenting? It's so hard to find that starting point. But for us, it just it just had to be education. So. Like within education, like how on earth, how do we start to tackle this gigantic beast? What what is there to to do? How can we how can we get schools on board with this idea? And it was then that we learned about the mental health support teams, a really, really new NHS service, right? And they're working with schools and going into schools to deliver psychoeducation and to help them to track, measure, and understand their whole school approach to to mental health and well-being. So you know, we, we, we've, we've connected to these teams and we're like, wow, this is a new service. They're doing great. What a fantastic idea. But what are their biggest problems? What are they struggling with? And, and how can we help them to deliver this in a really streamlined way, a systematic way? And, um, and it was from working with, with mainly East London Foundation Trust, actually, that we were able to dig down to understand they were having real difficulty like sharing even within their team what they had what they had already done so practitioners were creating um content so whether that's a presentation to deliver to young people or or handouts and and then finding it really difficult to even share it with their with their colleagues or to have it on they have like a z drive which is like a really old computer in the corner where everybody just <laughs> uploads their files everything's lost they don't know how to how to share it's like this is a really really simple problem that we can we can I looked help over them solve. there by the way I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just for just for that one list there Emma point Pointed to the corner of the room when I, I sort of turned around. I wonder where that Z drive is. Sorry to interrupt. But yeah, so on 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 the Z drive, it's like this is not acceptable. We need to bring this into you know into into the future, into the now at least. Even so, what if we could not only help you to share amongst yourselves and amongst that area, but then we could help you to share nationally? Imagine sharing best practice with 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 all of your or all of your neighbours, and then imagine if schools could share their best practice as well. So you've got the educators and the practitioners, everybody uploading this content. So it's become this really amazing user-generated resource for everybody to tap into. So identifying the problems and then and then kind of creating solutions from there. That's that's been my favorite part of, of the project, actually. Then we've created the 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 minimal viable product, which is, like I said, scrappy but still good in comparison to, to other NHS software. And and then it's been a real pleasure working to create the prototype for our for our main system. And we've done very similar to you actually, where we have um, been user testing, trying to understand like that that UX is really really important. Mm. People need to connect to the software that they're using. It needs to make their lives easier. This this can't just be another kind of data entry uploading piece. It needs to feel like it's helping them every step of the way. So they they want to jump on and they want to use it on a on a very regular basis. So we need to make it sticky to make sure that they're they're coming back to use the platform. How can we how can we help them? What what can we do? And we're still co-creating and facilitating sessions to learn that. I guess you both talked about prototyping um and the value of that in user testing. People buy with their eyes. And like how, you know, now you're on that investment journey and you wanted to raise capital. What's the benefits of having that prototype that you can give someone on a, you can send it on it and they can view it on their phone 
or on the computer. But for us, it's like what we're building, it's it's a really complex concept. So even as we were working through and building out the prototype, just that process helped us to get through so many different problems, you know, and, and to understand more. So to be able to show an, an investor or even somebody that that is thinking of buying into the concept for, for next year as a, as a customer, as a user, like just to actually show them is is really, really beneficial. You know, they can they can understand, they can it, it feels like the real product, like the real thing. That's that's, that's how high fidelity it is. Yeah, I was gonna talk about the fidelity because that's quite important, isn't it? You yeah. you it's almost smoke and mirrors. You wanna you almost wanna kind of um yeah, we're is this practically built. Let me talk let me talk you and show you through what it looks like and feels like as part of your sort of sales sales uh, strategy. Brings it into reality. Yeah, we we handed over the prototype to users um, to actually see if it benefits their well-being over two weeks. So we gave them full access. And because the design was um, so clean, it was the colors that they preferred, um, that sort of audience, uh, and that we knew from the previous two rounds of testing. Um, They were able to navigate really easily as if it was an app. So a lot of people used to just tell me like, oh, the app, you know, like I've, I've been using the app and I'm like, you know what? It's not yet the app. It's the prototype. <laughs> so that was that was great. Um, and uh, they didn't really feel that difference that this is actually not a live product, which is amazing. And um, I mean, just last week, um, you know, I raised my first micro check on the basis of sharing this prototype and giving access to the prototype to um, an investor who used it herself. So there is massive benefits of um, having a high fidelity prototype in your hands that you can show to an investor or a customer, potential customer, and they can actually use as if it's the real, it mimics the real product really well. It de-risks it, doesn't it, from an investor's perspective. Like you're going out and talking to it, actually you're getting, you're getting really good quality data and you're, here's problem, here's a solution, here's almost product market fit, but without spending money on on technology and, and engineers which is expensive exactly. and congrats to you both kind of bootstrapped that really quickly and you've done that as well so you know now you're on that journey where you're trying to raise capital and you're able to use that as a sales tool absolutely and and you know this is not without um help right so we've um i think again as solo founders we've had to tap into uh, a lot of different experts and and you know bring them on board as advisors or you know some sweat equity deals uh, where um, it's tied to sort of outcomes. And, and that, that helps ensure that you have the right kind of experts. You know, I have a clinical team and I have, uh, who've been amazing in designing this content. And I know they're the experts, they're doing the right thing. Um, the tech team with Noam has been brilliant. Uh, you know, so where you might have had a co-founder who is a developer, mm. what ended up happening with this arrangement was we had access to, to different people with different skill sets. So you're ending up tapping um, a bunch of different people to contribute to your product, uh, which which is usually helpful as a solo founder when you're trying, you know, to get as much um, fill in the gaps of where you're at. Yeah, and uh, some, sometimes it's like, oh, would I want another? Co- would I want to look for a co-founder again? You know, because it's a really tough journey. It's a, it's a really tough process, and it would be good to have someone to kind of like fill in the gaps. But when you're aware of your of, of your own kind of strengths and weaknesses, you can find the right people and you can find people that um, can 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 dip in and out of your business and, and give you their all rather than somebody that's that's maybe not 100% in, you know. It must be tough to now potentially choose a co-founder based on the investment you've yeah. both made yeah. emotionally, mentally, however you look at it. 
and and naturally, look, bringing consultants in is not a sustainable business model when you're bootstrapping. So obviously, funding's a piece there. Where where do you now look? Founding team, who are the priority people that you want to be bringing in? And and do you actually still want to bring in a co-founder, to be honest with you? So, you know, I, I'm quite open, actually, still. Um, I want to keep my eye on, like, the bigger picture here. It, it's it's emotionally hard. It's like going through divorce every time, right? Like, you're like, you're <laughs> you're like, like so how before. many times? So I've never been through one, so I can't relate. Not to go through one. Yeah. <laughs> And and you know that's it's a, it's fragile and especially at the early stage. I think maybe it's almost easier finding people who kind of share your vision now. It's almost harder at the beginning when you don't know what you're building, yeah. and then mm. you know when you do get to a point where you might have different views. But you know when you're a little bit ahead and you have a vision, somebody who comes on board. Um, so I would still be quite open to that. I'm aware that I can't do everything alone, but if I don't find one, I think the strategy very much will be to continue to tap on on people until the funding comes in. Mm-hmm. And once we have the funding, then, um, you know, the founding team could be a mix of some salary. Um, yeah. You know, it may not be market salary at the beginning, but then that compensates with um, long-term equity deals. So that that's one way of going about that. I'd be really keen to, uh, rather than finding a, fa- a founder now, I mean, if the right person comes along, sp- like meeting yeah. a partner, if the right person comes along, then, then why you not? Switch your feet. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine. I, I mean, it is, it, 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 essentially you used the dating term, didn't you, from the Zinc Capital yeah. Venture sort of type piece there. And, you know, there's this, there's almost human nature to mask who you really are, aren't you, for, for a certain period of time, the honeymoon period, so to speak. Yeah, and that's what's difficult when you meet someone is like, yeah. are you being yourself or yeah. is this just your shiny, glossy The whole version? problem with interviewing, by the way, is, isn't it? You know, let's hire someone who's potentially going to be nurturing and looking after and driving this business forward yeah. over two, three, four interviews, however it might work. So. Yeah, but also it, it, it forces you to look at yourself. Of course. Right? Yeah. Uh, because again, with, yeah. with the zinc process, you know, they, they used to try to, to mitigate for this risk of people presenting their shiny mm. selves by like mm. making you work really intensely together for like until you two, break. Three days, yeah. until you break, right? <laughs> so again, I'm telling you, it's the best social experiment out there. They should yeah. film it, you know. <laughs> they should, they should <laughs> film it. It'd be really interesting. Yeah, but but there's so much self-discovery that happens. It's like, right, like, you know, like, you know, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. I'm sick of being the problem. <laughs> so, um... I, I, yeah, I think I, I find that a multiple times. I'm a big believer. You, I, sh- I always want to feel like the idiot in the room, and today I do feel like the idiot in the room. Um, you want to surround yourself by experts, and that's been my motto, and I think that's where you guys want to get yeah. to as well, right? Mm. Absolutely. I would mm. say so, you know, like I'd, I'd much rather, <laughs> you know, rely on the expertise of somebody who knows what they're talking about in that space, and sort of draw on my strengths um, and, and not my weaknesses. Yeah. And I, I imagine having an initially as, as we're kind of growing, just having the right people in as fractional. Yeah. So whether that's CFO, COO, like that, they're definitely things that, that we, we need within our team. Um, and a, a founder's associate would be heaven to me right now. Like that would be, oh yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I couldn't agree more, Emma. I mean, it's, um, you know, uh, talking about this earlier, right? Like that there's, there's growing the business and then there's building the business, um, you know, internally and the operations. And, and yeah, that's, that's sort of like where you need help, depending on who you are. Like you need to find the, the complementary person mm-hmm. for you because there's just so much to do at that early stage. So 
having even someone dip in uh, two to three days a week if they can't be a full time co founder, it's it's hard asking someone to give up an income. Fra- fractional is becoming a um, it's becoming a natural thing now. By the way, I think the market shift has been more fractional. I think a lot of people have taken a lot of time out of what is heavy full time work now if you can afford it. And I suppose when you get to a C-suite level, you should be at a point really where you can afford it. You're just using your experience, aren't you? Yeah. That's all you do. It's, it's, it's and not, they, they, it's, a lot of the time they're passionate about it, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. Not, it's not work. It's kind of you can have a conversation and, you know, it's not work. It's just like, here you go, done this before, been around the houses on this, here you go. So imagine you, it's funny because there's, there's, there's the quotes out there, isn't there as well? So you're talking about this founding team and, you know, there's an expertise from a business point of view, but then there's that clinical aspect, isn't there? Because, you know, the, the memes at the moment pretty much sing the song that if you haven't got a clinician on your founding team, then you're just a technology business in health and you're not actually a health tech or a biotech or however you want to sort of associate yourself from a subcategory point of view. So It's funny you touched on that because that is literally the first hire in yeah. my forecast, you know, is is hiring that clinical lead. Yeah, um, Clinicians you know, for because of their training tend to be, and, and it's the right thing to do, they're quite risk averse. So I, yeah. I have worked with clinicians in the past and, and it's hard for them to reconcile the way that they deal with things with, with the sort of ambiguity um, when you're talking about a startup. It's really challenging for them. So um, giving them some sort of, you know, starting salary, whether that's one day a week or two days a week, that, that is literally the first person that I, I and I have, I have people in mind who I've spoken to who are ready to jump on board as soon as I have that in place. And would they naturally come from a, a, a you know, let's use an NHS background here, or would it be private side of things? Because, you know, for all the faults around the overworked, underpaid, underutilized elements of the NHS, there are a lot of benefits associated with it, right? You know, the, the Pension schemes, I imagine, is very good. Um, you know, the benefits that come on the side piece of that. Are they, is it private types who are more willing to take that risk and the NHS types are not public sector types? Or is it the opposite way around? How do you see it? So with the NHS, um, most most clinicians in this country have had to have some ex- NHS experience right. before they go private anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, so generally you will not find- know that. Yeah, generally they they kind of start with the NHS and and then they tend to build on their private practice. Um, you need is that because they know how bad it is in the NHS <laughs> and they can do a better job outside? Or I say it's um, not. I guess when you're starting out, you you got to be part of the system. You get your yeah. credentials that mm. way. Your continued professional development training in the trenches, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, it would be people who might be at a certain point in their lives where they are thinking about more private work, have fewer NHS hours. Again, conflict of interest is a thing. So, yeah. you know, someone who doesn't have yeah. conflict of interest. Yeah, we, we have been super lucky because even though Dale had to step down as as co-founder, he is still our clinical lead and he's heavily involved and emotionally invested. So, um, so yeah, we've kind of we've kind of got him bagged, which is pretty lucky. That emotional investment piece must be so important. It must be a, a primary sort of attribute you want from someone really from it especially in the early days yeah. because you know there's, there's a lot of hard work and, and and not very much pay at the beginning so um you want someone in the trenches with you don't you yeah that that really understands and, and connects to the mission and and it's about having a real impact not about building the business for money you know it has to be mission-led like from a really authentic place yeah you have to use that sort of 
I suppose money's not the reason why you do something, it's the result of what you do, right? So mm. That whole sort of let's start with why scenario. I have noticed recently with my engagements, there's with a lot of um, younger doctors who are um, starting as a, almost a side hustle as well, um, their own sort of ventures because they're working on the front line, they're seeing these problems mm. and they're more open to actually utilising technology. Have you noticed that as well? I've, I've not noticed that, but I'm glad. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've seen mm. it, you know, in, in health tech events. There's, there's a lot of, like you said, uh, Martin, young doctors who are sort of problem solving for um, the NHS on the side with, with private ventures. So it's definitely different uh, with each coming generation. And, um, you know, even within, I mean, the way that we are thinking about our coaches is those early career people um, who can come on board and, and do this on a flexible time basis so you know they get paid for what they do um as uh, so for example like one session and so it's it's not a full-time employee but yeah. it would start and again with a more contractor type engagement there are also a lot of them on tiktok <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Give so it it's the age it. of innovation though yeah. isn't it yeah. the day and they you know jokes aside on the sort of the the younger generation you know being at wanting to be on the front line of these pieces here because they've seen those problems. It, it's, it's down to the fact that they, they have the power to change these things now. They do, but also they're, you know, like we were talking about pay earlier, um, it's another income stream. If they're on TikTok, yeah. they're giving out some value and advice. They're yeah. like, fair play to them, they're hustling and, you know, they're, they're using the platforms. I'm clearly using the wrong TikTok streams because all mine are about cat videos. And <laughs> <laughs> I think there's an algorithm in there. I know, it must yeah. be. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too late. I, uh, yeah, I keep finding myself, you know, five minutes scrolling turns into five hours of, yeah. And now I know what everyone's cat does for a living. <laughs> great. We want, the amb- we want the ambition of the business where you see it. Let's not use the five-year scenario. But let's talk about the ambition for the business, but at the same time, and you know, naturally funding, we want to bring in that, what do you want from an investor? Mm-hmm. You know, what does your ideal investor look like, so to speak? Priyanka, what about from your perspective in terms of the... Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, those are those are great points. Um, I was thinking about like, you know, where we're at. I suppose they're, you know, an investor is really taking a punt on us as individuals. So it's like, you know, they want to see if you have the uh, the grit and the passion to like continue and the skills. So you you guys are building a business the old fashioned way. You're you know, you're validating your product. Um, you at some point you're going to need to raise investment. So what are you doing currently to to go go about that? I have been having plenty of conversations with individuals who um, I think would be interested from an angel investment perspective in in the product um, and in the in this particular problem. I think it's important to find people. And I've seen this, you know, between one type of person who may not have a personal connection or doesn't really get the problem to someone who, you know, for example, isn't a parent. I see that difference sometimes or have or hasn't had experience with this issue. Um, you know, some people's eyes just light up when I talk about this. Um, but others, you know, see the prototype or hear about the problem. They're like, yeah, this is a huge problem. So so they get it. Um, so I think from an investor, what what I personally would like is someone who has invested in the mission, who has the money, obviously, and who has the connections as well to connect us to the right people um, from a business development standpoint, team building standpoint, 
um, experts. Uh, so those that really would be the ideal mix, um, you know, if there was a matchmaking service. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Connections are really important for, for us as well. We've, we, we feel like we're really well connected and linked in with the NHS. And although they are kind of paying customer, it would be good to have someone that's that's deeper within education, you know. So we've we've kind of almost got Dale in in the NHS, and then we need someone that's that's in education. So if an investor could bring that, I feel that they would really understand where we're coming from and and the much bigger mission that's at, at hand. What can investors expect from you? Because look, you know, we know what you want, or you know what you want from an investor. But naturally, it's them that's got to make that decision to invest. So I think from an investor, investor's perspective, um, what they can expect is to have some clarity on what the plan is over the next three to six months, right? Like what are the metrics that are important for us to prove um, whether, you know, that's engagement, whether that's outcomes and, and to gather that data, to be able to um, sell the product, you know, once, once, once we're at a point of um, uh, sort of that, that final product, sell it. Are you able to sell it? Do people want it and, and gather the data around that? So an investor can get a lot of passion from from me. Like if we need to bring on someone that is as connected to this idea and this mission as 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 I am. Um, and they can be sure to, to have this. I've, I've had this drive of this project continuously. No matter what, I will not fail and, and passed over very many hurdles and I will continue to do that until we're building the perfect team and and we're pushing out a, a product that is actually um, you know going to be revenue generating. One thing that's clearly obvious is the the investment you're both making. You know, not just from a, a sort of time, money, or a physical perspective, but from a mental aspect as well. And and you know, how are you prioritizing your own mental health on this journey? What are you doing to to take care of your own well-being, it's it's really tricky. It, yeah, it it's, is it's a hard one. When, and when you're really busy, and I'm not gonna lie, it's hard. Yeah. You know, it's it's you have moments of almost on a daily basis, perhaps like where you're like, you know, this is this is really hard, right? And you question why you're doing it, um, and um, and I, I guess it just comes back to sort of the why, you know, uh, and. Having the the Yummy community, the these four hundred, you know, mums who have plus who have signed up, and then when I organize these sessions and they show up, and mm. the feedback we get, it just it's that's the fuel, right? Like you know that you're doing, the, you're you're accomplishing the mission in whatever small way, you, you know, and that that's the fuel. Um, for me, you know, physical uh, sort of fitness tends to be a thing as mm -hmm. well. Like so exercise, making sure that you're doing that self-care routine, you know, um, that helps, helps things as well. Making sure that you're, you know, again, it, all of this is actually on the Yummy app. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm often my, you know, um, I'm user number one, right? So I, I yeah. honestly, I go back to it and, and I look at kind of the tools that, that, you know, because I'm a mom, I'm like transitioning <laughs> into a different phase, uh, you know, whether that's entrepreneurship uh, or whether that's motherhood, it, it is a shift. And it's like, right, like, what are my values? Why am I doing this? What are small goals I can set for myself? Like, you know, there's this huge task that we're trying to accomplish here. How do we break that down? Like, you know, small steps, right? And and then deal with it in that way. Like, you know, hit those small tasks and, and then you kind of get to the end. 
so there's a lot of self-coaching involved, but there's also the fact that like I, I you know, I, I have these informal advisors who I regularly schedule calls with because there's the thing of prioritization. Mm. I don't know if you find this, Emma, but like as a solo founder, there's so many things. It's like, what do you do first, mm -hmm. right? Everything mm -hmm. seems to feel as urgent as the other. Yeah. So it's like, what do you do first? And and then just to have a sounding board can be really helpful. Yeah, and 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 that that prioritizing like there's an endless list of things to do, right? So you're never going to come to the end of that to do list and be like, right, now I can have fun. Like it's it's just ongoing. So yeah, to have to have people in place, to have mentors, to have other people that are in the same situation as you that you can you can call up and just be like this is happening and they've been there they've done that they can guide you through and also being physical you you have you have to exercise um i have to make sure that i close my laptop at a certain time and i go off and and i climb or i dance and and that brings me life you know you need to make sure that although like my business brings me so much joy and I absolutely love it as we're making progress, it really does light me up. You need to make sure that you're not forgetting everything else in life as well. You know, your relationships still need nurturing. You need to make sure that you're doing something else aside from your business that you love every single day. And that could be something small, like cooking a really nice meal or or something amazing, like going dancing with friends, you know, or, or, mm -hmm. or rock climbing. <laughs> so you said cooking a meal. What's your what's your speciality dish? Oh, I've been. If I was doing... to come around for dinner, if we were, if it, sorry, if we were to come when we do come around for dinner, <laughs> what's, the, what's, the, the what's the what's the free course for the come dine with me? Well, but oh, free course? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'm not that posh. <laughs> Got to be free courses. <laughs> come on. Um. Well, I've been making a really lovely Spanish meatballs. Is that the meal. starter? Mm, no. I yeah, no, Spanish it's... meatballs starter. That can do starter? What's the difference between a what's the difference between a meatball or a Spanish meatball or an English meatball or an Italian meatball or Ola. meatball? Lots, Ola. lots of yummy it, peppers and is sweetness. That what it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the the different type of spices. Right. So we're not going to get a starter. We're just going to go. Yeah, I'm not a starter girl. Right. Okay, we'll go straight to main then. What's straight the to... <laughs> Spanish Spanish meatballs? I do believe you're not a starter. I, I wouldn't say that, Emma. Like you're not a starter girl. <laughs> it's a hard enough problem anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, th I think we need to make a it's point as well. <laughs> I do think we need to make a point that, that Emma actually moved from Brighton to Sheffield just for a climbing walk. Yeah, yeah. That is true. I mean, if there's any way to upsticks your life and move to another city or town or wherever you want to look at it, then that's that's the reason. I right? need more climbing in my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you talked about it earlier, like you need to, you know, work's work, but you you've moved your life to Sheffield. Yeah. Which apparently has the best climbing centres in the world. It does. And the Peak District. So That's you can true. get outside often. Yeah. And it's not as rainy as Wales. So there's 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 lots of uh Poor bonuses. Wales. Poor, Poor Wales. Wales, sorry, Wales. Priyanka, you're not gonna get away with it. Me and me and Phil are gonna come to uh dinner. What are we eating? Ooh, so I, I spaghetti a... hoops if 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 we're <laughs> Honestly, going to... I'm a big foodie actually. So yeah. I pretty much cook every night. Um and, and I mainly cook for myself. I would say I cook for my family. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if it were up to me, so I often like, again, I solve my own problem if, you know, <laughs> I cook according to my mood. So what would you expect with a three course meal? Um, so it depends on what, what cuisine you're talking about. But if it, I, I cook Indian food, obviously. Um, that works for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 absolutely 100%. I make tacos well. too, Mexican tacos. No, we'll, we'll stick with one. Indian Indians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, yeah. let the Mexicans eat the Mexican tacos. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm North Indian by um, heritage, but I grew up in, in, um, in Bombay, which is like, you know, middle to South India. So uh, there's a ton of street food and things in my, in my repertoire. So I would cook some kebabs. Wow. <laughs> yes. 
I would cook some dosa. Like my kids love dosa. I don't know if you know. What's, like what's dosa that? So dosa is like a it's a rice lentil pancake. Okay. Um, with uh, with this dal, um, which is called sambar, which is South Indian. And for dessert, I would make halwa. We don't make we Indians don't make good desserts. I don't. No, think. I'm not. I'm no. not a big fan Just of. But, a scoop of ice cream yeah. would do me. To be honest with you, <laughs> I make my favorite Indian dessert, which is like almond badam ka halwa. Okay, called. that's good. Almond halwa. Cool. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I definitely need to be sampling what this. About, what about <laughs> clearly, I just turn up to, to to my what is an absolutely amazing curry house, basically, and eat my um, my king prawn the wabi. That's that's what's mm. Manchester's good. Yeah, the curry mao, don't you? Yeah, rush home. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's um, it's always very busy as well. Mm. Unbelievable, unbelievable. What about you? What would so I cook? We, yeah, starters. You can get no starter with me. <laughs> you can have a bit of. I a, told you, Emma. <laughs> A bit of a <laughs> bread. Yeah. yeah, with a bit of olive oil. There Starters you go. This is not a meal thing. No. <laughs> it's definitely not. I'm a, I'm a salmon guy. I, I, I do a decent sort of salmon, lemongrass, teriyaki piece there. Okay. With a bit of. That's what that is. <laughs> for our listeners, I did a bit of a circle on the desk and pictured a plate uh, for that one listener, should I say? Um, yeah, and no, I'm a salmon, salmon person, so you may not be salmon with some form of. Potato or rice or you know, there's got to be a carb on the side. Hasn't very it? northern. Yeah, you say for that, or just fish and chips, mate. Mushy peas, you know, one of those things. Yeah, fish and All chips. Right, are good. Come on then, Gordon. That's a <laughs> avocado and prawn cocktail to start. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> Lasagna. Oh, I like it. Homemade though. Spotted dick. <laughs> <laughs> With custard. Tree coupled, yeah. It's got to be ambrosia as well, right? Is birds still going as a custard? Didn't they used to make a custard? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're, we're, we're in a bit of a book. It's nice to maybe just we ask could, a we, slightly we use, different question. We could yeah. use this as our intro now. <laughs> I actually did have a, a, another serious question for you because... What's really, what I've picked up on this is, you know, we introduce you as, a, I mean, as a platform that's that's for newer expectant parents, but you've gone through, I mean, how old are your kids now? They're 11, they're going to be, my older's going to be 11 soon, right. and 9. So 11 and 9, 9 and 11, however we look at it, and you've spoke about there being the number one user of your app and, and actually returning to that sort of, you know, that, that platform to help you cope from that perspective there, so... You know, is the iteration of your your products going to be parents all the way up? Because look, kids are kids, right? Until they're eighteen, officially. Absolutely. You 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 know that's that's exactly where we're going. Because this is uh, the therapeutic model we're using mm. is great for trans life transitions. So whenever you feel like your values are shifting, your your life is going in a different direction, you can come back to those tools. So. The growth of the product is definitely in that phase. You could be a parent, you could be, um, obviously for us, parenting is a thing. But even, you know, going back to work um, after maternity leave is a transition. That's one we'll cover at the beginning. Mm. Um, but as kids are growing, and again, your priorities shift a little, you can dip back into your career. Some some women, you know, dip back out and then dip back in into their careers. Um, and and some dads then realize that they want to slow down in life, and and you know they need that shift. They need a different lifestyle. So it's it's the tools are really suited to parents who are feeling that shift. It's really funny. I feel like I've designed something, you know, with with the clinical team here and and with the tech team that I like. I'm very much the user, and it's now with the benefit of hindsight, I know that this is something uh, that I would have really benefited from at that yeah. phase. Really powerful, really, really powerful. 
I just still can't believe we're not going to get a starter. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for coming in today. Um, it's been great to hear your story, the grit, you know, the grind and the hustle. Um, and here's to the future. Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I've had a really good time. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us. It's, it's nice to reflect and, and talk about our story so far. Thank you very much. And thanks, Martin. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs>